Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Friday, July 12th, 2019. I'm Shannon, and I am here with Sarah and Brooke, and for the first time in, well, since we've done the intro episode, Christine has come out from the super secret editing booth, and she has (laughs) decided to talk to us today about sad books. Yay, Christine! Welcome, Christine. Thank you. So usually, you know, she does all of her magical things in the background. But tonight, she will talk to us about sad books. Because sometimes you just need a great, sad bookity. And we have 12 of them to talk about. (laughs) So I just wanted to say that even though the subject is sad books... Some of these books will have a happy ending, but something in them was very sad when um, the person discussing it was reading this particular book. So let us do the usual housekeeping. Then I will start us off with my first book, followed by Sarah, Brooke, and Christine will end the round before we start again. So, as always, you can find us on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. And if you want to find us on Twitter, you can search that too. Apparently, that's how it works best. So, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. On Facebook, you can also join our Facebook listener group where you can hang out with us and chat about books with all of the hostesses of Book Bistro, as well as with some of the podcast listeners. So definitely take a look at that if you're looking for a great place to talk about bookish things. And if you want to send us an email, you can do that as well. And that address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. I really do need to take a look at Twitter and see why it's so convoluted and strange. But I will be sure to let you know when I do that if there is any change in how you find us over there. Okay. So now we're going to talk about sad books. My first pick came out at the end of June. And you will be familiar with it if you listened to my interview with Claire McIntosh. So this is her latest book. It's her fourth novel. It's called After the End. And normally, Claire McIntosh writes twisty psychological thrillers, but this is a definite departure for her. Um, If you want to hear more about why it's a departure, um, you can go back and check out my interview with her, which was so, so much fun to do. But for now, I will just talk about the book. So After the End is the story of Pip and Max and their young son, Dylan, and When the story opens, Dylan is about two and a half years old, and he is in the pediatric ICU ward of a hospital in England. Of course, Sarah, this is this is not. This is this is a hard. 
Sarah subject. Yes, this is not a, a Sarah Soper book. No. Um, and Dylan has a very aggressive form of brain cancer. And he's gone through a bunch of different treatments. He's had surgery. And unfortunately, he has some irreversible brain damage, both because of the tumor and because of one of the procedures to remove the tumor. So Max and Pip are not really sure what the future holds, but within the next couple of days, Dylan is going to be taken off the ventilator to see if he can breathe on his own. And so we follow them as they're waiting to see what happens. And one day they are approached by Layla, who is one of Dylan's doctors. And she tells him, or she tells them that there's really nothing more that the hospital can do that whatever is going to happen with Dylan, there's just not any treatment and they are ready then for the parents to make a very, very difficult decision. Oh, my soul. <laughs> so <laughs> Pip is, is ready to let Dylan go. She knows that she doesn't want him to suffer and she wants him to die with dignity. And Max would really prefer if Dylan could go to Texas and undergo some very specific radiation treatment. And so because the parents cannot agree on what is to happen with Dylan, the court has to become involved. And I don't want to tell you a ton more because that would not be good. But I do want to say that Macintosh takes a really interesting turn here because we get to see what things would be like for Pip and Max. It's kind of like this thing about, you know, which road should you travel and you get to see what happens as they travel each road. So Pip tells us what happens when the judge decides in her favor and Dylan is not put through further treatment. And Max tells us what happens when he is allowed to take Dylan to Texas and how their lives kind of go from that point. So this is not a story where you're going to get a conclusive answer about what happens to Dylan and his parents. It's more of an exploration of the journey. And it was really, really hard to read, I would say, especially the first half. But then as you go on and you're exploring these different paths, you have a, a sense of, of hope and you start to see that the lives of these characters can go on even in the midst of so much tragedy. Um, this is just a phenomenal book. I, I loved it so much, even though it was really, really hard to read. So if you feel like you want to give it a try, it's after the end. And it's the fourth novel by Claire McIntosh. It was an amazing, amazing book. Yes. You read it too? Yeah, I did. It was amazing. I have it uh, very soon to read. And the interview was just lovely. It was a great It was. It was a great interview. Yeah. Tell me if this name sounds like a sad book. Does Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Does it sound sad or does it sound like a funny book? It sounds funny, and I was it's, when when Shannon told me about it, I I, I chuckled. 
Yeah. But Jen read it and I thought she was trying to tell me like something about an elephant, like in a weird. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Because Shannon, when you used to do a couple years ago, you would do your Bookity Tuesday videos yes. on Facebook. Yes. You talked about Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. I you had read it. I just remembered the name. So yes. right before I went to go to guide dog training, I um, got the book. And it's Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. And it's by Gail Honeyman. And I thought it was going to be a comedy. So I started reading it before I went to training. And I thought this will be a good book on the plane because I'm like scared to fly because I'm kind of a wimp. And I cry without shedding tears all the way anywhere I go on planes. And I started reading it and I started shedding tears for real. So I actually had to stop in the middle of the book and then pick it up after my training because it, it was making me so emotional. So it is about a young woman named Eleanor and she, Eleanor Oliphant, and she lives on her own. This book takes place in England. And if you ever get the audio version of this book, the um, narrator is phenomenal, like amazingly good. And a lot of the people who reviewed it also felt like I did, that the narrator was just amazing. And um, so she lives alone. She's in an apartment and she eats like the same food every day, like pasta. And she has, I want to say she always drinks vodka. She might have some wine, but she I think it's wine because wasn't she mad that like the pizza place wouldn't Oh yes, her? Well, it starts with wine. She also likes vodka. So hmm. Eleanor is very like particular. And the first time I really flinched and really had like, it was like almost a painful response to me, even though I don't think it was supposed to be. So she sees a man in a band. She's like out and she sees this guy performing and she instantly knows that he is the man for her. And that is going to be a great love, like the love of like the fifties and sixties movies. It's going to be a beautiful love. Oh dear. And yes. And <laughs> so she knew, she knows that she needs to like get pretty if she wants to like keep this man. Cause he's quite handsome. And so the first thing she does is she goes and she gets a bikini wax. Ooh. And Al says, Ouch. Al doesn't and, think that's um, good. <laughs> and you think it's going to be like funny, like gut busting, like, wah ha ha, and she's going to scream and it's going to be funny. But it wasn't funny because they had all these different like bikini wax options, and one of them was called the Hollywood. And oh, she's dear. like, Oh, if Hollywood, so will Eleanor. And she picks it. <laughs> And it's, it's more like a, more like a Brazilian, if anybody knows what that is. So she's, it's more than what she expects. She looks, she looks a lot different when she's done. But the first thing that I noticed is that it says that, yeah, it's painful and she knows how to block out the pain. So she just goes to that place in her mind and I'm thinking, okay, so, you know, usually if you're getting a bikini wax, you drop a couple F-bombs and you go, woo, and then it's done. And it's not about like going to a place in your mind where you don't feel pain. So that was the first thing. So she really wants to pursue this guy and she tries to like start changing things about herself, but she's so awkward. You guys, she's extremely awkward and it's like painful to read. She does not understand social situations. She just doesn't understand anything. And she, she is like very precise about things. I mean, 
some people might say she was on the spectrum. I do not believe that she is, but she's just kind of like that kind of spectrumy. And she, while this is going on, while she's trying to like improve herself to meet this man who she thinks she's in love with, but she's never even spoken to him. I don't even know if she knows his name. I can't remember. This is a book I read once two years ago and never read again because it was so painful to me. Ooh, sorry, Al. He's wrapped around <clears throat> my earbuds. Um, it's very painful to him, too. Yes, it was. <laughs> I, he doesn't like to see me sad, evidently. No. So she starts speaking to a guy who works in her company who does, like, techie stuff. And he's always got, like, stained clothes, and he's kind of, like, like crazy, messy hair and kind of clumsy. And she just, like, thinks he is the strangest man ever. But through a series of different events, he befriends Eleanor, and they become, like, close. And during this time also, while she's trying to basically stalk this man that she doesn't know, she, um, we talk, we see several phone conversations she has with her mother. Her mother calls her on certain days of the week. And I don't want to tell you where her mother's calling from because it'll give a lot of, of the book away. But, um, so this is a book about a woman who has not been loved for a long time by anyone and has not been treated well by anyone. And people brush her off because she's so odd. And how does she build a friendship? How does she learn who she is? How does she accept her past? And it is a book that I loved with every fiber of my being. And it's a book that I probably will never read again. But it was really, really a great book. And I just want to say that any book that, even in the sad book episode that I talk about, it has to have at least a hopeful ending because I cannot, I don't, I don't do sad endings. So that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> but if you want to read a book that has some really like gut busting funny parts, but really is not funny, it's very tragic. Read Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine by Gail Honeyman. So the first book I'm going to talk about tonight is P.S. I Love You by Cecilia Ahern. Oh, and... God. <laughs> So this book is about a woman named Holly, and she has recently lost the love of her life named Jerry. And Jerry, she met when they were in high school, and he has recently died of a brain tumor. So Holly receives a letter shortly after Jerry dies, and in the letter, he just kind of talks about their life together. And... While she is kind of grieving, she continues to receive these letters each month. Kind of, I, if I'm not incorrect, at some point before he dies, he kind of lets her know that she may be receiving letters from him. And yeah, he sets so, this up because yeah. I read the book and it's not anything ghosty or weird. Each month, Holly receives a different letter from Jerry and he's kind of rehashing their life together and reminding her of things that they did together or things that they said they were going to do together. Um, he also talks about things that he thinks that she needs to do, like to maybe go and get her dream job, for example, or remember this 
thing that happened in our time together or that. And while she's kind of going through these memories, she's also reconnecting with friends and family as well as having them involved. So it's kind of a story about reconnecting with family and friends and having them help you through a really big loss and how even going through a big loss, you can also find yourself. So the whole premise of the book is kind of a little bit complicated to understand at first, but as you start reading it, you really understand and you, I think you'll fall in love with it just as so much as I did. It's called P.S. I Love You, and it's by Cecilia Ahern. So I've seen I lots thought it of was Cecilia a wonderful... Ahern. I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry, Christine. Sorry. Oh, you're good. You go first. It was, I, I loved the book. I did. Um, it was, it was cool because he had worked this out so that she didn't have to let him, you know, go. Like, she still got to have, like, new sort of, you know, like things from him, even though he was gone, she got to have the letters and they Yeah, and he, got, he also that, reminded her about things. like Right, he, and stuff that she should do and ways that she should move on and, and kind of helped her to do that, even, you know, though he wasn't there. And I just, it was just written well and I loved it and it made me cry a lot. So the first book I'm going to talk about is called Birthday. It's by Meredith Russo. And it's just recent, I think. It didn't come out that long ago. Um, <clears throat> it is a story about two boys. Uh, they were born together in the... It, there was a blizzard, and somehow their families were together. And they were born at the same exact time, on the same exact day, nights, whatever... They were not twins, but they almost, they could be. That's how close they were in birth together. So their families grew up together, and the boys, uh, Eric and Morgan, have a really special bond because of this. And they, they, they are life, you know, fast friends. And we see them on their birthday we see that every day that we see them is a birthday. We start oh. seeing them when they're 13. And we see them uh, through to the 18th birthday. And I couldn't help as I was reading this, but think, you know, if th th lots of things happened on each birthday. And I was thinking, you know, if, if as many things happened to them, every day of their lives has happened on their birthdays <laughs> we would we would have a book that was like an epic like 3000 page you know uh, book, book because just lots of stuff happened on their birthdays and so it's a it's a story of how they grow up and try to fit into their world it's complicated because morgan has always wanted he's always known he was a girl he feels like a girl he he flinches whenever male pronouns male uh descriptions male things are applied to him he doesn't want anything to do with the male life but he can't he, he doesn't he can't say this um and eric 
is very attracted to the part of Morgan that wants to, he's attracted to that girl. And so as kids do, there's a lot of bullying. There's a lot of making fun of them. Um, Eric's brother and his father, his family is uh, pretty homophobic, um, except for his mother who's supportive. So there's a lot of teasing. Um, Morgan tries over and over to deny this this about him and to fit in to uh, this life that he's been given. Um, And eventually there comes a point when an event happens and he can't go back from it and he needs to decide to embrace his, his identity. And um, the, the other thing that happens in this book, that's very cool. And it's funny because we were just talking about the PS I love you book. Uh, Morgan's mother dies when he's 11. Um, She has some kind of cancer. And she leaves for him a series of birthday cards. Um, She left a couple of cassettes, like videos. I mean, she got too sick to do that. So she left him birthday cards that would go through his 18th birthday. So one of the things that we see on every birthday is him looking at this card and seeing what she says to him. And it's very sad. And he, she talks to him in these cards about the man that he will become and the, 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 the woman that he will marry, the family that he will have. And what's really something is that in the last card, she says something to the effect of whatever person you grow up to be, whoever that person is, I will love you and you will be a good person. And, you know, it's like she doesn't even know this, but she's accepting and allowing him to accept, even more importantly, allowing her to accept her new uh, chosen identity. And it's a very awesome, gripping, um, sad, but also hopeful book. Oh, uh, the I two see of a falling them, mess. The two of them, um, <laughs> they they fight, they make up, they come to terms with, and they do a lot of, of soul searching with each other. It's uh, Morgan's father is very supportive. Uh, it, it just has it has so many awesome things, and it resonated with me because a lot of my life I was trying to fit in to the mold that. The, 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 that the world had for me that people wanted and so I, I resonated with with Morgan and with Eric was struggling to figure out and to, how to be who I, I was even when that person I knew was very very different from the one that people wished I would be so anyway I, I loved it and I recommend it and it is uh, Birthday by Meredith Russo Russo herself is a trans woman. And so I think she comes by these stories that she's telling in a very authentic way. And she's one of the few like own voices, um, trans authors out there. Wow. That's great. I I think you kind of mentioned that once, but I have forgotten. So 
So let's talk about another book that Sarah Stover would not want to read. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not, it's super ironic that I am on this episode because I am not a sad books person. I like several books that have sad aspects to them, but I, I'm like the opposite of a <laughs> sad books person. So my next pick is a book that I... I read probably about 13 years ago when I was living in Texas, and it was a really, really painful book. I loved it, but I can never, ever, ever read it again. Um, this is One True Thing, and it's by Anna Quinlan, who, when she writes good things, they're like out of this world good. And then the things that she writes that I don't like are just bad. Um, not that they would be bad for other people, but they're bad for me. But this one is amazing. So this is the story of Ellen, and she is in her 20s. She's living in New York City, where she works as a journalist. But she gets a phone call one day, and she's summoned back home. And she's now going to have to put this life in New York City on hold because Kate, her mother, has been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And although Ellen's father and two brothers are around, there is some concern that given their schedules and given the fact that they're all men, that Kate might be more comfortable having Ellen be with her for her last days and providing some of that kind of intimate care. So Ellen is reluctant. She and her mother have always gotten along, but there's a certain amount of tension there as well. So it's difficult for her to kind of conceptualize how it's going to be to spend the next, you know, months or however long Kate has um, just with her mother. And, you know, what if things go badly? What if they can't make peace with one another? So as we're following her, she's navigating this really, really difficult time. And she and her mother do eventually kind of make peace. Their relationship deepens. They feel like they understand each other for kind of the first time in a long time. And then Ellen realizes that her mother is someone that she hasn't really understood all that well. And of course, because this is a book and this is how these things go, kind of just as she comes to this understanding, Kate dies. And this is not a spoiler. If you look at the, the blurb on the back of the book, it will tell you this. Um, Kate dies and Ellen stands accused of her murder. Um, the police suspect that she intended it as a mercy killing. But merciful or not, um, you still just can't kill people. Like, that's illegal. So they you know, want to um, put her on trial for this. Um, this is just a, a devastating novel. Um, if you've ever lost anyone to cancer, um, this is, is so incredibly poignant. Um, there are some very detailed descriptions of the care that Ellen is giving to Kate. And the author just really does not hold anything back as she describes this. So this is definitely a book that's going to put you kind of right there in the trenches with Ellen. Um, as I said, I can never read it again, um, but I encourage others to read it if it's something that you think um, would interest you. 
And I think it really makes you think about the relationships that you may have with the people in your life. So once again, it's One True Thing, and it's by Anna Quinlan. So who loves a little Jennifer Weiner? Oh, Jennifer Weiner is great. Yes. I mean, she's like one of the goddesses of today, in my opinion. So the book I'm going to talk about today is called All Fall Down by Jennifer Weiner. And it's a book that I have read a couple of times and will very for sure read again. Um, it really spoke to me on so many levels um, as a mom, especially with the pressures of being a mom in our society today and how judging McJudgerson so many moms are. And instead of, you know, supporting each other and lifting each other up, they um, judge and make such terrible comments. And this book is about a woman named Allison. And she has a little girl. And um, she's also a blogger, but her blog has kind of taken off. So she, it's like a full-time job. She does a lot of, it's, it's not like just a, like a hobby for her. And um, Allison has a lot of pressure on her. So she lives in the beginning of the book in New York City. And she, um, or right outside New York City. And she has a daughter who is like four or five. And I'm sorry, I should have looked it up before I read it or before I did this. But um, she's over being a toddler, but she's still a little, a little. She's not old. And she has some sensory concerns. And um, it's very interesting to read about this because I think right now it's sensory, sensory processing disorders, sensory issues, sensory, all these things are a big, with little kids right now, it's a big buzzword. And so Allison has this little girl with these sensory issues. She has a blog that's taking off. She has a husband and she has kind of elderly parents that I don't want to give too much away, but um, her parents lean on her a lot. And, and um, in the beginning of the book, she is at her daughter's pediatrician's office and she's waiting to have <laughs> a checkup. And um, she's filling out a quiz in a magazine about, are you an addict? Are you addicted to drugs? Or are you an alcoholic? And she's like, whatever, you know, no. But she doesn't really face it in the beginning of the book, but she's actually quite addicted to prescription painkillers. And she lives this whole life trying to keep all these balls in the air, trying to juggle all of these responsibilities, trying to live up to the impossible requirements of being a mom, being a working mom, being a wife, being a daughter, to parents who need her and um, how she basically starts to um, drop her basket, how she starts to crack under the pressure of, of, of life and, and, you know, her daughter and her husband and her parents and the judgy McJudgerson parents around. I mean, it's just crazy. There were parts I would laugh hysterically reading because, um, 
I know people like this. I know like, you know, oh, everything has to be completely organic, even the stroller lining and everything has to be, you know, if you do this, you're a terrible mother. And if you, God forbid you give your child formula or God forbid you let them have like something with sugar or, you know, whatever. And all the pressures get to her so much. And she just starts spiraling down this, um, this, this spiral of no return where she just is taking more and more painkillers. And while things are seemingly improving for her, like her blog is really getting noticed people like she's on TV. She's really, um, yeah. Do you remember that part? Did you do that? Shannon? Yeah. Yes. Yes. It doesn't Um, go so well for her. No, it doesn't go so well for her. No. Um, but she is just, just, losing it. And when you think, if you hear the word addict, you might think of someone who neglects their family or is homeless or, you know, whatever, some negative connotation. And when you read this book, she doesn't neglect her family. She doesn't, she wants to be everything for everyone. And what she ends up doing is losing herself. And I, I read this book before I was, I never used to be like a real crier. I never used to be an emotional mess. And um, when I read this book, I'm trying to think of the year it came out. My youngest was still small. He's six now. So maybe four years ago it came out, maybe five. like 13 or 14. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Cause I think, um, not that this matters, but I think I remember sitting up at night and nursing my baby and just like bawling reading this book. I think it was, he was that little because I really, really, even though I've never been addicted to, to prescription drugs or any type of, you know, I, I identified so much with her struggle to be the best for everyone around her that she could be. And, and it's just the most wrenching, gripping book in my opinion. And I really feel like a lot of people can identify with Allison, but a lot of moms, in my opinion, could really, really identify with the pressure that's put on people, both working and staying at stay at home moms, because she was working, but in a lot of, she was staying at home too. So it, I don't know. I would really, really highly recommend All Fall Down by Jennifer Weiner. There's so much more I could say, but I, I don't want to ruin it. Um, but it's, like I said, it's a book that I've read twice and I will probably read it so many times more. It's in like my top six books in the last five years. That's how much I liked it. It's amazing. Did you, yeah. yeah. Shannon, good. could you, did you guys like it? Those of you who read it that, I mean, yes, if, if you I have kids or don't have kids, did it, yeah. did it really speak to your yeah. soul? Yeah. Jen, I just feel like Jennifer Weiner. She's like, just her writing is so beautiful. So the next book I'm going to talk about is, the Art of Racing in the Rain by Garth oh, no. Stein. <laughs> so Shannon says, book oh, no. took me a really long time to read. Um, I'd heard it was about a dog and the last, his last day. Um, and my dogs are barking at the moment, so you can probably hear them. So they don't want it to be their last day. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't be quiet, maybe it will be. doggies no so this took this book took me a really long time to pick up i i'd had it on my to 
to read list for a really, really, really long time. Because for me, any book that has a dog in it is kind of a book that I'm probably definitely going to read. And it took me a really long time to read it because everyone kept telling me, oh, the dog dies. So I, each time I was ready to pick it up, I happened to have one of my dogs die. So I was like, well, I'm not going to read it now because I just lost a dog. So to read a book that heartbreaking would just be too much for me. So I finally picked it up about, I don't know, about a month ago. And I loved it. There was, there was times when I laughed. There was lots of times when I cried. And it was just a really, really great book. So this book is about a dog named Enzo. And it's his last day um, on Earth. He's really old and he's not doing too well. So his owners decided that it's time to let um, Enzo go. So Enzo is a very, um, what does he call himself? He calls himself an intellectual dog. And he <laughs> feels that someday he is going to come back as a human. So he feels that he's ready to come back as a human because he's done all these like studying of the human condition and he feels that he's ready to come back. So he kind of, and through this book, he goes through his time with his family and Enzo's owner's name is Denny and he is an up and coming race car driver. And a lot of the book is, taking place on the racetrack as well as in the family day-to-days of Denny and Enzo. So Enzo gets to go to the racetracks and he's, he's kind of able to apply all of what he's learned about life to the racetrack. So one of his mottos that Denny always has is no race has ever been won in the first turn that there's many races that are lost in that turn. So the way that Enzo applies that to life is that no matter what happens, it's not over. Anything could happen at any point in your life and that you should just keep on going. So Enzo goes along with Denny and he's always there for Denny. So Denny has a wife and a daughter, but then Denny's wife ends up dying of cancer. And Denny's daughter is taken away by his, his uh, in-laws. And so Denny is going through this rough time. And his, while this is happening, his career begins to take off. So a lot of things are kind of happening in this book. And you kind of see the ups and the downs that goes on within Denny's life. And this is kind of what, Enzo feels is part of the human condition. We have ups and we have downs, but like no matter what, we're never, we're never out until the game is over, right? So Enzo is very determined that when he, when he comes back, he's going to come back as a human. So if you want to learn more, this book is The Art of Racing in the Rain by Garth Stein. <clears throat> Tell us so, about another sad bookity. Yes, I will. This next book that I'm going to talk about is The Great Believers oh. by Rebecca Mackay. 
and wow, <laughs> it it was it was quite the read. Um, I understand from uh, the internet that they're going to be making a television event or something of it. When you say an so, event, do you mean like a movie? Like a or movie, like a, a made-for-TV movie or something. It, okay. It's been uh, signed away for that. But anyway, it's the books are always best anyway. It's in my Yes. Opinion. But uh, it's won awards and it's been nominated for awards and it's great. It is a dual timeline book, Yay. which is something we're all fond of on this podcast. And so part of it takes place in mid-1980s Chicago during the HIV uh, slash AIDS uh, event. Uh, what turns out to be epidemic starts out um, in, in the early 80s and by the mid 80s it is epidemic proportions throughout the United States. The second timeline is in is 30 years later and largely in Paris uh, we follow two people in the 80s we follow mostly uh, Yale um, who is a a man who works for an art gallery. He's like, uh, he's, he's working on this really big deal to bring an exhibition of 1920s paintings to this gallery as a present. So his, his career is going well, he's doing well with that, but he is starting to uh, lose his friends. Um, we follow Fiona in the uh, Paris timeline, but we also see her we see her in both because she is uh, in she is in Yale's life. She becomes uh, very very close to Yale. Um, so when the book opens, it opens at a at a funeral and at a gathering afterwards for uh, Yale's close friend Nico, and Nico is Fiona's older brother. So that's how they are connected. And it's a pivotal event for both of them, especially for Yale, because he is starting to feel really circled by the, the disease. It's, it's, it's killing his friends one by one, sometimes even quicker than that. And he's starting to feel uh, a lot of different things. He feels Sometimes this, this manic joy you see in, in, the, in this community where like, wow, you know, we got we to gotta grab and live and enjoy and create and do all the wonderful things that we were put on this earth to do because we don't know how long we're going to have and maybe we'll have forever. We're going to live like that. And then you see them thinking that their life is over and they just, they're all going to die. And the government has turned its back on them, basically. The Reagan and Bush administrations didn't want to deal with HIV um, and didn't largely. Uh, they wanted it to go away and take as many of them with it as it would. Um, so Yale is worried about his and his, his mortality and his, his friends and sees, and we just watched them 
we see them, we see someone one day and the next day they're sick and the next day they're gone. And you see that over and over. Um, Yale has a partner who is a lawyer and he's very, he's very much involved in the activism side of the HIV AIDS uh, uh, situation in, in Chicago. And he, he also travels to some other places and he gets really involved with the government, with marching, with protesting, with trying to get the government to do something, to put some of the money into better drugs, to, to try to help the situation. Um, and in Fiona's, for her part in, in uh, when she, she's is looking for her estranged daughter in, in Paris, uh, she did not do well as a parent. And while she's in Paris, she does a lot of thinking, a lot of remembering, and we see her do this. And we see a lot of her realizing that this whole uh, timeline in the 80s all this stuff was so awful and devastating that it, it did not make for a functional adult. Uh, uh, it, it, it couldn't, um, a lot of grieving, a lot of not, a lot of things you don't face well, just a lot of unresolved things. Um, and so she meets someone in, in, uh, Paris that she didn't know was alive. He's, He's a photographer who lived in Chicago with Nico and, all, and uh, Yale and all those folks. He was a photographer who did a lot of pictures during that time and, and cataloged that, that, whole, uh, that whole time of the AIDS, HIV and, and the people. He's got lots of photos. And so they spend a lot of time talking and she does uh, a lot of realizing how this affected her. Um, there's a lot of pain in this book, even if you are reading it and you didn't live through that time. For me, though, I resonated with the book because I lived in Kalamazoo, Michigan in, the, in that time. And I saw the community just disappear. I, I knew all these men. My partner at the time worked for the AIDS agency. In, in Kalamazoo, the HIV agency. And we literally, we, 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 would, we would meet someone, they would come over and cut our hair and maybe we'd cook them dinner. And a week later, she would tell me that they were gone. And I- That's heartbreaking. I, I, I saw all of these people go away, all this. This happened in Chicago, we see it. We see it very well. Um, the author does a wonderful job of feelings of emotions of all of that but when you think that Chicago is just one city it's just one place but it was happening in every city all over the United States to destroy a culture to destroy a way of life to destroy a piece of humanity and it 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 just um I'm glad she wrote about it because I it's it's a book that I would have wanted to write and couldn't would never have the words for but it was wonderful to read and to relive a part of my life that was both painful and also uh, also beautiful to, to know some wonderful people even for only only a brief time. Um, and so I, I don't know that I can talk about it 
very much better than that. It uh, is a it's a wonderful read, and it is the Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. You know, hearing you talk about that time, um, I was a kid in the eighties, and I didn't know much about AIDS until the nineties, really. You know, when they already were kind of, it was. I don't want to say it wasn't as dramatic as it was in the eighties, but I just remember learning about it, but I was older. You know, I mean, I was, it was in the nineties and did they come to school and talk to you about it? Um, they did, but, um, we watched like, um, in health class, I remember watching, they did an interview with Ryan white yes. you know, who had hemophilia and, and mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily know as a child, like I didn't know how much like it, affected you know gay men and how it you know like I just didn't know I didn't know till I grew up and you know to talk to someone who lived through that time and um to read a book like that I think would be again I don't know if it would be so much a Sarah book but it would be a book that I would really appreciate reading so my last pick is the first book that I ever read by Sally Hepworth and it's called The Things We Keep. It's actually her second novel, um, and I have not picked up her, her debut yet, although I want to. But The Things We Keep is the story of Anna, and Anna is a 38-year-old paramedic, and she has early-onset Alzheimer's. Oh. And when we first meet Anna, she is being taken to a place called Rosalind House, where she would live out the rest of her life. She was living on her own and that got very unsafe. She then moved in with her brother and his family, but that also became very unsafe as her condition deteriorated. And so finally her family makes the decision that Anna needs to go to Rosalind house, which is a a nursing home, um, kind of a a place, a, a smaller um, nursing home kind of I don't want to say elite but you know not one of the the places that has you know 500 residents um and Anna, well funded yes yes <laughs> <laughs> well funded yes yeah. so Anna we, we see this through her eyes and so we get to see her lose um more and more of her language more and more of her memories But she is really struggling to be like the youngest person in this, this home. You know, everyone there is like 70, 80 years old and she's 38 and this is really hard for her. Hello, cat. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) But then there is um, a man named Luke who comes to live at the home and he is somewhere around Anna's age he seems to have a form of dementia and we don't ever fully know like what, what form of dementia he has. It's not really given a name, but the two of them strike up a friendship and eventually they, they start to fall in love. And the question is, how does love survive when you don't remember the person that you, that you <gasps> love? So, We also get to know Eve, and Eve is a single mother. Um, She comes from Britain. She lives 
in the United States now. And her husband was part of a big kind of like Bernie Maddow style, like Ponzi scheme. And so he cost a lot of people a lot of money. And Eve and her daughter are not very popular people. Um, so Eve is trying to find a way to start over. And she becomes a cook at Rosalind House. And she meets Anna and Luke. And she's fascinated by their story, especially when she learns that some really tragic event occurred. And Anna and Luke are no longer allowed to see each other. Oh. Their families do not want them um, to be together. So Eve begins to wonder, like, do we really have the right to keep two people apart? And how far is she willing to go to help them be together? Um, this is, it, it's just such a moving story that asks some really deep questions and has a grace um, that I think you, you seldom see when you read a book like this. If you're an audio reader, Therese Plummer and Barry oh. Krynick are the narrators and they are they're both super fantastic. Um, it, it's a story that will make you cry for sure. Um, but it's so, so lovely. So once again, it is The Things We Keep. And it's by Sally Hepworth. My final go. book of the my final book of this podcast is probably in one of my top two books I've ever read as an adult. And um it really, it spoke to me on a level, um, s such a deep level. And um, I think my twin and I have referred to this book before on other episodes. I know we both wrote about it in um, our most favorite books of 2018. Um, the book is called Good Luck With That by Kristen Higgins. And First of all, if you've ever read anything by Kristen Higgins, you are lucky because her books are just, I have not read a book that, by her that I wouldn't have given a five-star rating. And this book um, really spoke to me as someone who um, has struggled with body image for a lot of my adult life. Um, it's about three, three girls who meet at a fat camp when they are teenagers. And um, I... Um, never had to go to fat camp, but um, I really identify with these girls and their struggle to find that, you know, to find themselves because of their body image struggles. But um, so these three girls go out on a lake together um, at the very beginning of the book and they make a list of all the things they're going to do when they're skinny, because, you know, only skinny people can do all these things. I'm saying very, um, ironically. Um, and it was a very teenage list, like have a boy give you a piggyback ride, um, um, shop for clothes in a non plus size store, um, get asked out, like have a stranger buy you a drink, all things that if you were, um, a teenager with, um, pretty significant, um, body image struggles you may not have experienced before. And these three girls, Emerson, Georgia, and Marley, 
all decide that when they get thin, they're going to do these things. So then fast forward several years, um, early thirties now, and, um, I'm not giving anything away. This is in the synopsis. Um, Emerson is dying. She has literally eaten herself to death. Like she is very, very, very extremely obese. And she calls Georgia and Emerson who live in the same town to her home. Stop. Or she calls. Oh, I'm sorry. She calls Georgia and Marley. So Emerson is dying and she calls Georgia and Marley um, who live in the same town um, together to, to her. And she lives in, in another state and they haven't seen her for a while. They've been in contact, but not actually like face to face. And they come to Mar to Emerson's bedside and they are just absolutely horrified that she's dying. And Emerson makes them promise before she, um, passes away to um, take the list and she wants them to do all the things from this list that they made at fat, at fat camp, even though neither Georgia nor um, Georgia and Marley both are not extremely skinny. And so as the book goes on, um, Georgia and Marley try to do what Emerson has requested and they try to um, do the things on the list, even though they're not necessarily in perfect shape. And it's just the most beautiful story. It's heartbreaking, like ugly, sobbing, amazing about these, these girls that are not in the, traditional size two, size four, Lululemon, perfect looking bodies and how they reconcile their lives and how they kind of accept themselves and learn to live with the bodies that they have. And um, it's not an easy road. I mean, Georgia has some pretty significant um, medical things going on because of all of the yo-yo dieting she's done, all of the food deprivation and then the binging and the, you know, and, and Marley, she's a chef and she's pretty comfortable with who she is. She'll never be a size four, but she works out at the gym multiple times a week, but she'll always be big and how people judge her for being how she is and how she's actually pretty happy with herself. And it's just the most, the, the two of them, take Emerson's last wish that they can complete the things on this list and they go on a journey of self-discovery and woven through Marley and Georgia's chapters are chapters from Emerson that she wrote in her diary and she wrote letters to other Emerson, other Emerson who is skinny and who wouldn't take up two airplane seats and who wouldn't be told she'd be, she has such a beautiful face if only she could lose weight and who will go through the drive-through and act like she's on the phone because she's ordering all this food and then say, Oh, I just wanted a coffee and look at all these food I had to order for everybody. And it's really only for her. And I read it and I just cried and cried and cried um, because just, you know, the way that Kristen Higgins captures like the pain of, of, of these women and also the successes 
is the most beautiful thing. And um, I'm not going to tell you too much more about this book. I will tell you that um, I wouldn't have read it if it didn't have a, you know, hope and uplifting message to share. But um, I read an interview with Kristen Higgins. Um, I, it was, the interview was put out before good luck with that was, was, was released. And it was very profound to me because she said she's been a little bit of Marley. She's been Georgia and she's been Emerson and she's waited a long time to write this book. And I just, I thought it was amazing. Um, if anyone else has read it, I think that people would probably agree with me. It was, it was really yes. a phenomenally well-written, yes. beautiful book. But I did a lot of ugly crying and I had to do it like very quietly because I like read like at night after like my husband and kids were asleep and I'd be like, because <gasps> it was so good. <laughs> and I tried to be so quiet. It was just so beautifully written. I just, I can't say enough about Kristen Higgins. So if um, you like I have struggled with body image or, you know, whatever, I mean, you don't have to be fat or I wouldn't say fat. That's not a nice word. You You don't have to be you know, a curvy person or large to struggle with body image. And if you have good luck with that is an amazing book to read. It is. Yes. And her new book is coming. Oh my God. I can't wait. August, August 6th, right? I'm counting down the minutes till August yes. 6th happens. Yes. yes. So the last book I'm going to talk about is swimming for sunlight by <gasps> Ali Larkin. Oh my God. I love that book, Brooke. It's one of my favorite books of this year. It was so good. Sorry. It was. I didn't know it was you read so it. Good. Yes. I loved it. Oh my God. I loved it so much. Yeah. I knew Stacy read it because she talked about it and she was all worried that it was not going to be a good ending for her. Yes. It was so everything. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. And it's so not good. usually... It's not usually a book that I tend to read because I read a lot of thrillers and crime books and stuff like that. So when I picked it up, I wasn't too sure, but I was very, very, very glad that I read it because it had me laughing and crying and yes! thinking and all that. So this book is about a woman named Kate and she, at the beginning of the book, has broken up with her husband and she's going through a divorce, and it's not a great divorce. So what she ends up doing is kind of saying, like, screw it. I'm just, all I want is the dog. So she wants Aww. their rescue dog, who, who is a very anxious dog. So you kind of don't know, like, wh what she's going to do. So she ends up going to back, um, so one sec. So their dog. So, so after the breakup of her marriage, Kate really doesn't know where she wants to go. So she decides to move back home with her grandmother, who she calls Nan. Oh, and Nan. Nan, I know Nan is an amazing woman, just a very, very strong, independent, um, just everything that you would want in a grandma. And she's like kind of a a person that's always there for you, no matter what kind of happens. So they can be there to pat you on the back and say way to go, or they can be there to pick you up when you fall down. The, just, or, or she can even be there to just shove you out the door and tell you, go, go do it. So this is Nan, and she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. 
So Kate is a costume designer and she is not really working right now. And um, Nan, you, she kind of gets talking to Nan and to Nan's, we also, while she's talking to Nan, you also get to meet Nan's friends. And honestly, her friends are freaking amazing. Like awesome. I would love, I hope that when I'm Nan's age that I have such amazing friends. So she's got friends from all walks of life, people who have, you kind of learn about their different things that are going on in their lives and also about how things just didn't go well for them when they were younger, but then how they've come to the place that they are right now. And by learning about this, Kate is able to kind of figure out where she wants to go. So while she's figuring out where she wants to go next, Nan and her friends start talking about back in the past when they used to be what are called mermaid dancers. So these are people that are performers and they perform underwater, they dance and they perform. So they're called mermaids. And her and her friends used to be mermaids and they kind of talk about how it would be really cool to get back together and to kind of reconnect with their old, um, their old dancers. So Kate kind of hears how they're really interested in doing this. And she decides that, hey, wouldn't it be cool to do a documentary that kind of helps them reconnect with their past, but also kind of promotes what happened to them so that other people can learn about mermaids? Because she had never actually known this part of Nan. So while this is all happening, one of her friends from the past named Luca comes back and they reconnect. And so they're reconnecting and Luca has agreed to help them out with the project. There's only one problem. Kate is actually really alert, really afraid of water. She has this fear from when she was younger because her husband, um, <laughs> because her father was taken out um, kind of got lost in the ocean and Ooh. lost his life. He died. And so, yes, mm -hmm. and he's, he's died. So she's afraid of water. And part of the whole documentary is going to be at this pool, at the community pool. So she's going to need to overcome her, her fear of water. So Luca tries to help her with this. And meanwhile, you get to meet her dog, Bark. And, oh and you learn a lot about his fears. And as the book progresses, you realize that, well, I guess more that we don't, what well, we realize it, but also Kate realizes that a lot of her anxiety and her concerns are kind of going to, going on to bark. And that she wonders if maybe if she tries to, overcome some of her anxieties and some of her fears, then maybe Bark will feel better. Because one of the ways that she comes to this um, realization is when one of Nan's friends takes Bark for a walk and he's totally fine. Like he doesn't seem to show any of those fears. So the difference that Kate realizes between her and this woman is that I can't remember her name, but Oh, she I know, but very, I love her. She's very, very 
um, independent, confident, knows who she is. And this is something that Kate realizes that she needs to work on in order to help Bark. And this is kind of how she begins to improve herself and to figure out who she is because she really, really, this dog just means so much to her. So she wants to help her dog. So that's about all I can say, but it's called Swimming for Sunlight and it is by Ali Larkin. This will totally be one of my top reads for 2019. I love this book so much. I loved it. I totally I need loved to it. read this. So the last book that I'm going to talk about is called Goodbye Days. And it's by Jeff Zentner. Loved this book. Um, of course, I loved them all. This book asks the question, what if you could spend one last day with someone you love oh. after they're gone? So this book takes place in Nashville and its main focus is on uh, Harper Briggs, who's really talented. He goes to an art institute. He's really popular. And he has these three really close friends. They do everything together. They are together all the time. And one of the things that I love about this book, even though it's really sad, is this, there is so much wonderful humor. And I love good humor, like wordplay, really smart people saying, not like that I don't, I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way, but wordplay between people is just wonderful in this book. The humor is great. So he and his friends have lots of, of banter that's very funny. So he's waiting to be picked up by his friends, Mars, Eli, and Blake, because they went to a party he did not go to. And he's kind of anxious because they're not there when he thinks they should be. So he sends a text message to Mars. Mars happens to be driving. He doesn't know this. He just sends him the message. And there's a terrible accident. And all three of those boys are killed. Oh. And so, of course, this is totally devastating for Carver. And Mars's father is a really powerful judge in the town. And he wants to open an investigation, a criminal investigation, into the conduct of Carver for writing this text and bring charges against him if that's possible. So not only does Carver have to deal with the incredible incredible grief of uh, that he feels himself uh, for, for doing uh, for sending a text um, and for losing his friends but he also has to face what might be the ruin of his, of his life as a teenager um, he he the, the, he's ostracized at school except for by Eli's girlfriend who befriends him and they they start spending time together he has a very supportive family. He has a really cool, supportive therapist. But one of the main people that he starts to get support from, and this is funny, given Brooke's last book, is Blake's grandmother, who is an absolutely <laughs> wonderful woman. She's just, she's great. So she has him over one morning and she says, you know, I want you to spend a day with me saying goodbye to Blake. Oh, gosh. we're gonna we're gonna have a goodbye day, 
and we're going to do all the things that Blake would want to do. We're going to eat the food Blake would want to eat. We're going to sing the songs and play the music that Blake would want us to play and sing. We're going to go fishing. We're going to do this stuff. And he doesn't know how he feels about this, but he agrees. He goes along with it, and they spend this absolutely wonderful day. It's very cathartic and cleansing for him. It's also very sad. And people find out about this and want to have goodbye days for the others as well. It's good to involve the families if you can. Mars is the one hold, Mars family is the one holdout. But we go through these goodbye days for these boys and it's just it's just awesome. It's sad. It's funny. It's poignant. And I believe in my whole heart that the best way since I read that book to celebrate the loss of someone would be to have a goodbye day. I commit to do that as much as I can um, for people. Um, and and it, it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And the people who support him are solid and beautiful and funny and able to, to just, you know, and, and there's always the concern about what's going to happen to him, which you'll have to read to, to find out. But it's great. I loved it. You should definitely pick it up and give it a read. As someone on this podcast says, do it today. <laughs> it's Goodbye Days by Jeff Zentner. It, read it today. Yes, yes it, it is a beautiful bookity. All right. So that does it for us tonight. Thank you to Sarah and Brooke and Christine for talking about sad books with me tonight. And Christine will get to do double duty on this episode because now <laughs> she gets to edit it. So we'll see how that goes. And I want to thank all of you who join us each and every week for Book Bistro. We appreciate you so incredibly much. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.